On Monday's show, we outlined fifth-generation warfare with our guest, Simon Essler. Today, we pick up on that conversation in part two, where we're going to discuss Neuralink AI and its role in social engineering, plus much more about whether or not you're able to opt out. You're going to want to stick around for today because it is thought-provoking. Sit back, grab yourself a cup of coffee or whatever it is that you're into. You're listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden here on the America Out Loud Network. America Emboldened. Greg, I feel emboldened. You don't know the founding fathers. You don't know what they did. You don't know what they sacrificed. We have lost touch with the principles in the Constitution. Nobody's read the Declaration of Independence. You are voting for socialism, and you got what you voted for. Welcome, bold Americans, to yet another episode of America Emboldened. Here we are on Wednesday, right before Thanksgiving. Glad that you're joining on with the show and program. We've been having a wonderful conversation with Simon Essler, who is very well-versed in fifth-generation warfare, which is the social engineering of outcomes of countries and intelligence agencies and the weaponization of social media and so much more against you, the citizen. And they do this out in the open without anybody bashing an eyelash the fact that this is a war a war for your humanity and so we're going to continue into the conversation with my co-host chris michaels asking simon esler a follow-up question where we left off what could people do everyday person do to regain embodiment to get out of that headspace and start to interact as a whole rather than a separate human being separate from the spirituality aspect of of life in general the primary practice that i am currently advocating and this is sort of like a a meta practice to apply to a lot of different things you could do but it's really learning to use the mind to watch the body so instead of always using the mind for this incessant internal dialogue See what it's like to use the mind as an observer of what the body is already giving you. And so the mind becomes this kind of space in which the sensory input of the body is allowed to be reflected. So that can be true for lots of different things. Of course, this is a sort of form of meditation you could implement, but you can also be doing this. If you practice yoga, use your mind to watch the body during during your yoga practice, or even if you use the gym as a form of embodiment, right? A lot of people say that my gym time is my meditation time. That can be true, but there's a difference between someone going to the gym and using their mind to really watch the experience of the body as they're working out, as they're pushing their body's limits and to really sense their vehicle as it endures that struggle. There's a difference between that and going to to the gym and putting an audio book on double speed and making it about this very, very uh, mental thing on top of what you're doing with your body. So to me, this practice of using the mind to watch the body is deeply related to empiricism. And that's one of the ways I have found of correcting the mind's position in our life. One of the ways that has naturally come to me is through practices and teachers that have taught me how to engage in more mental silence and how to have the mind be more silent. But there, you know, While that's a more challenging practice, I would say, we can still more regularly use the mind to watch the body. And that really has to do with, you know, 
a certain amount of our awareness being given back to the body and taken away from that incessant internal dialogue. Almost sounds like you brushed up on Gurdjieff. <laughs> you know, I actually heard a different background there, Simon. I'm going to ask you about this. So I was a youth minister for nine years uh, in a Catholic church. Uh, but I would go to all the different conferences and ministry. And one of the things that you just kind of hit upon, if you follow Pew Research in the religiosity of society, then you know that people claim that they're more spiritual, but less religious. And so there's this divide from what does it mean to be religious versus what does it mean to be spiritual and then does spiritual actually have any weight to it whatsoever? Or is that this feel-good thing that we talk about? And I couldn't help but notice this parallel in what you were just talking about with technology in the way that we have become disconnected or with this alien uh, society was saying, hey, you know what? It's never been apart from us. It's one and the same. It's you guys that are separate. What is it about us? that we want to put everything in a neat box of understanding instead of a mystical box where everything is possible. Like faith is one of those things that you either have or you do not have. And it's, it's the old line about, you know, seeing isn't believing, right? Believing is how we see. And so you were just talking about believing in yourself is the first way you can see yourself, right? To be introspective towards that. But society right now, we have people at war with Christianity. And I don't mean war Christianity like the right-leaning, it's a war against Christmas. I don't mean that. I mean, a war against like being able to practice your faith without somebody shoving down, well, I don't believe that God exists anyway. The atheists can't stay in their box. They can't stay in theirs to try to ruin somebody else's moments. So this vibrational energy that we bring into our prayer life, that we bring into those spiritual moments, I find that it's lacking any meat and potatoes, the substance that actually feeds us the religion that feeds us because everybody's stuck in having a spiritual experience. Is that part of fifth generational warfare to erode from underneath the human and the spiritual and to separate these and this technology leading to that? Yeah, it's my understanding that there is intentional warfare to, to number one, undermine the Judeo-Christian fabric of society. And the Toronto protocols is one document that overtly states this, that this is a, a clear target for them. Um, but then when we get into the, the sort of nuance of this spirituality versus religiosity, I mean, you know, this is a very interesting subject. I actually do think about this a lot because um, on the one hand, you do have a kind of new age psyop that I think was very, very real. I think there were actual psychological operations in the new age community that, that were really meant to draw people into spiritual nonsense that uh, was meant to become an obstacle for them um, or lead them down towards something much darker. So there's that aspect of it that I think there is a kind of vague spirituality that can be kind of dangerous for people. At the same time, we saw on the religious side um, an excessive reliance on dogma. Um, and I think, you know, this comes back to free thought and the ability to, to think without dogma, tradition, and authority, but not to totally disregard those things. And I had a really beautiful conversation with um, one of my followers on Instagram, who's a very, very devout Christian. 
And then we were getting really deep into, you know, what it meant to live by dogma um, versus what it means to be able to think freely. And one of the kind of conclusions that we came to was that if you're using dogma to think, if that is the means by which you are thinking, then you are giving up the gift of your own life, of the life that God gave you. And your life is filled with meaning. This path of your life has the potential to bring you closer to this, the spiritual nature of your existence. And, and, and you know, it, it has this potential to deepen your relationship with your spirituality or with your religion, but you have to be present with your own life to deepen your connection with that. So if there's a particular dogma in your religion that you feel devoted to, that feels truthful, you still want to allow the struggle of your life to enrich your relationship with that dogma and to potentially change the meaning of that throughout your life so that maybe when you go from being 20 and then you know years later you're 50 and you've been through so much and you come back to that particular religious dogma you see something more deep and more rich that you didn't see before because you have allowed yourself to be informed by your actual life rather than using that dogma as a tool to think about your life and I think that's the kind of difference that that um, needs to be parsed out. And so, if people are coming at this, let's say they're they're not into religion, but they feel themselves to be very spiritual. Again, I would say, are you allowing your actual life to enrich your spiritual awareness in this very direct way? Or are you allowing certain sort of new age principles to think for you? I've seen this happen on both sides. And I think it's something that needs a lot of clarity um, because it's not an easy thing to do. So there's so many different places we can go with this conversation right now. And it's, it's, it's a wide open canvas, but I, I'm, I'm wondering about this, this technology side. I'm going to go into a spot that I don't normally go into, but I think Chris, you and I talked about this at one point. What is the possibility? Now, this is really going to upset the atheist that listens to my show. I'm going to get hate mail. What's the possibility? They're trying to find out if it's possible to put a soul into AI. I mean, I've come across a lot of material about the attempts to migrate souls. Uh, you know, conspiracies about um, underground bases that have cloning facilities and that are seeking to migrate the souls of beings into different clones. Um, I, I don't personally, of course, I can't know that whether or not that is true. Right. I have no empirical like life experience that can really connect me to that. But I will say that what I understand through inductive reasoning about the religiosity of some of these elites and the occult belief systems they have, there are those forms of obsession with being able to migrate a soul from one body to another. And I think part of that really comes from their fear of death. In my opinion, we're looking at very, very powerful people who are deeply afraid of death and will do anything to try to manipulate the material realm to extend their life and to potentially migrate their own soul. Um, I think it's, you know, it's important to be able to cognize the depth of evil and depravity of some of the people in this world. And there doesn't need to be a lot of these people um, for it to be meaningful for us to understand that there are people 
who are willing to experiment with things like soul migration and who might be that obsessed and that powerful at the same time. I think it's perfectly reasonable to look at those possibilities, especially given how far, um, you know, deep underground military uh, operations have been able to go. Um, you know, there's a, a merger that occurred between, you know, like weapons contractors and, and, and aerospace contractors and the military. And from my understanding, you know, you had classified projects that big corporations, uh, you know, collaborated on with the military. But what ended up happening, from my understanding, is that some of these corporations and these weapons manufacturers and aerospace developers, they ended up going off and developing their own covert programs that are not mm -hmm. under the laws and scrutinies of the military. And so how far would a program like that go if they had access to um, technology that manipulated human consciousness? We know for a fact that the development of MK Ultra through the Nazis brought here through Project Paperclip, we know for a fact that they were obsessed with manipulating human consciousness, that they were obsessed with trying to control thinking and thoughts and consciousness. We already know that. That's a matter of record. The question is, how far have they now taken this with the development of technology mm -hmm. that is beyond what we have, right? There's this sort of idea that covert development of technologies is always like 10 to 100 years beyond what we're experiencing here in the public. So, you know, through inductive reasoning, I think it's it's fair to look at those possibilities because those are the kinds of people that we're potentially dealing with. Hey, Chris, that reminds me. I'm sorry. I just want to ask you, do you remember the conversation we had about Elon Musk, Neuralink, and my rant last week on Friday? How could I forget? <laughs> do you want to share, share, no. share, share, no, share with Simon because I want you to summarize it because it will be more concise and I won't go on a rant. Share with Simon my summary of why, what I think Neuralink's actually about after we just had this conversation. I think we all said that Neuralink is about bringing people into a massive hive mind style of technology so that people like Elon Musk and those higher ups in the high tech world will have ultimate control because they will then use AI to predict human reactions. I mean, they already do, but if you can actually have a direct connection through Neuralink and 5G into an AI such as, what is it, Grok? Is that Elon Musk's AI? Now we have something, now we've got what you mentioned. We've got a contractor, a government contractor under the guise of X, because I don't know if you remember this, when Elon took it over, he just essentially bought the brand. He didn't buy the technology that runs Twitter. So who has that? And then he changed his company name to X.AI. Well, XAI was a DARPA program to try and figure out the logical steps that AI took to come up with its answers, which ultimately failed. They couldn't figure it out. So it, it also reminds me of one little quote from an adverse event that was logged when these mRNA injections first came out. Somebody was quoted as saying, that I can no longer feel God. So that means that whatever injection this person took and whatever it was made up of, cut off their connection to a higher source. I think that is very, very telling about what they intend to do. And so I guess my question about 5G warfare is that is 5G warfare also encompassing 
our connection, our higher connection, not just on a, you know, not just on a societal level and a political level and how we react to things, but is it truly trying to remove mankind from its higher connections? Well, I guess the bigger question I would ask is, is can it be? I mean, what, what do we have in our life experience, in our knowledge base that shows us whether or not that is possible? Um, what understanding do we have of the human body and its spiritual nature to show us that that kind of disconnection could be played out? Um, I think we need to be in a place of situational awareness, which, you know, like I said, you have to be able to cognize the depth of evil and depravity that we are up against. Um, and at the same time, we don't want to be in constant states of fight or flight about <laughs> what, um, kind of terrifying operations might be lurking in the darkness. Um, you know, I wonder, I have looked into some of that information and I wonder, um, I wonder what part of the human body is able to be manipulated like a switch in which we can be cut off so easily. Um, I have yet to come across information that clarifies that mechanism to me in a way that says you would not be able to cultivate your relationship uh, based off of a particular substance. I have yet to see anything that allows me to understand that mechanism. Doesn't mean it's not possible, because of course, if there are people obsessed with that, they've been furiously researching it. Um, but I'm not sure. I have to cite deep uncertainty and rest in that uncertainty. And that's where, where I will comfortably sit with something like that. I like that answer. Sometimes we need the to rest in the uncertainty. Sometimes it's best for us not to believe that we know all the answers or have it all figured out. Uh, Simon, on the flip side of the break here, I'm going to ask you about whether or not we can opt out of fifth generation warfare. But before we get to that answer, we got to take a break to hear from our sponsors on the America Out Loud network. You can go to americaoutloud.news and check out all my colleagues' work where people are putting America first, as well as you can check out the 24-7 talk radio network, 365 days a year. That's available on all of your favorite app devices. Just go to the app store and you can download the America Out Loud talk radio uh, app in order to hear this and take it wherever you are as well as all of your favorite podcasts like america emboldened we'll be right back after the break you're listening to america emboldened with greg bolden chris michaels and our special guest simon esler here on the america out loud network we are the pulse and voice of everyday american thought AmericaOutloud.news, delivering a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. Join us in the fight for liberty and justice for all. America Out Loud Talk Radio. The Natural Colon Cleanse. It's the ultimate digestive tune-up with Oxy Powder. It's crafted to alleviate the discomfort of gas, bloating, and occasional constipation. 
There's a reason why Oxy Powder is our number one seller. It worked. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus hostile nasal solution. And now we have a throat spray too. crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Sounds good. <laughs> Can one opt out of 5G, 5G, fifth generation warfare? I mean, it, it, that's the bizarre thing. There's no, in my perspective, there's no way out. You're in the belly of the beast, right? Society is stuck with what our overlords, so to speak, have, have shoved down our throats. Um, what's the best way to protect yourself and your emotions from the constant barrage? Is it meditation? Just going back to church for some people? What, what is it? Well, I would say that it's something that, um, you know, you brought up General Flynn earlier, and, you know, his book does have some really good insights into fifth generation warfare. And they talk about something called dominating the physical domain. Um, and, and that's really because the majority of fifth generation warfare occurs in the digital domain. And, um, you know, I, I like to look at dominating the physical domain very much from the perspective of human relations and being in aura with people. I really believe that our auras interact with each other very, very deeply in subtle ways that are magnificent on top of all the incredible ways that we are impacted, um, even just physically through our olfactory senses and micro gestures of other human beings and all sorts of things that are going on when you're in the physical space of another human being. Um, so to dominate the physical domain in as many ways as you can is to protect yourself against fifth generation warfare because it is in the digital domain where the majority of the manip manipulation occurs. That's where you're disembodied. That's where you're surrounded by psychological operations, influence operations. There's long form and short form um, um, operations for social engineering. So what I mean by that is that you may encourage, uh, encounter a certain information operation that tries to entrench you in a particular narrative. But then in a broader perspective, when you just look at the overall impact of social media, you're looking at likes and comments and shares as these little dopamine hits that are um, changing your relationship with technology very slowly over time. Um, that That's a harder one to perceive because it's more gradual. So dominating the physical domain means number one, getting embodied, right? Having your forms of embodiment, getting that personal embodiment, but deepening your relations. You know, I use my family to get embodied. 
So I work a lot online. I'm a, or, or I'm just in front of a screen editing for hours. You know, that's part of my life and my career. So I really get intentional about the time that I'm with my kids. Um, and that's a good example of when I am using my mind to watch my body. When I'm with my kids, I watch what my body feels like to be in aura with my children, what my body feels like when I'm in the presence of my sons. I watch that. I, you know, I, I really try to take that in because if we are still living in this dysregulated, disembodied state in our offline life, then we are losing what we need to stay anchored so that when we do go online, we have the situational awareness necessary to navigate the digital domain. So I believe that's a big part of what's going on. And then extend it to from your family into your community. What are your relationships like offline? Do you have deep, nourishing, complex relationships that have depth in your offline life? This is a, a weapon. And I think... You know, when we you're saying that can one opt out of fifth generation warfare? Uh, no, I don't think at all. But but I would flip it around to say that this is a gift in the sense that there has never been a time in which we have more information on how to be of service to humanity. Once you develop the situational awareness that awakens you to the nature of this war, then my experience has been that um, it it fills you with a sense of purpose and service because you know how to be of service. You see what the enemy is up to and you see how to live your life in response to that. So, you know, my devotion to my family has deepened the more I've come to understand the war on the family and the specific tactics, these neo-Marxist tactics being used to attack the family unit, the nuclear family, that understanding that has helped me get a grasp of forms of devotion to my family and um, legacy forms of thinking that are very important, right? Thinking of my family as a pathway to the future, as a pathway to future generations. That's how my enemy thought. That's how these um, globalist elites, they've been thinking in terms of many generations, in terms of hundreds of years. And they've been passing on their legacy of installing a new world order to their different generations to carry this torch. We need to be thinking those ways. So get embodied, get um, grounded in your family, in your community. And I would say start thinking in terms of legacy and building that and, you know, use the war to fill your life with purpose. You know, I'm, I'm personally inspired by it every day and I try to use it instead of um, falling into a victim mentality that there's a, some sort of an inescapable war that's constantly bringing me down. I just don't see it that way at all anymore. That's a beautiful answer. I, I am going to actually go back and re-listen to what you just said, because there was a moment there where I felt like you were personally speaking to me and not just having a conversation with Chris and I and the audience. And the reason I say that is I have two young children myself and producing the show five days a week and getting content out, whether it's video content or getting things over to the network, there are times where that work family balance I know is not in balance. And I know how I feel during that time. So when I do approach, who am I booking? What am I talking about today? I always have in the back of my mind, I'm not tucking my son in tonight. So this better matter. It's got to matter to me. So therefore it can matter to the audience. If I'm taking that time away from my children, then it's got to be something that enriches me and whoever's going to listen to the show. 
And so when people ask me, how do you come up with your topics? I often will say to them, I don't always have a topic until like the day of, because I get inspired from something. And that inspiration is what leads me to what we're going to, to have out there. And I guess in some ways I'm participating then in fifth generation warfare because I'm using the observer method. I'm using the emotional tie. And so I, I that's why I said you, what you just stated. I was going, oh, I kind of get this already. I understand it. I know where I need to be better because I also don't have the optimist uh, view on life at all times. I'm a pessimist and I'm very serious. You know, Chris is the one that, that makes me laugh and he gets guests uh, joking around sometimes. And I'm very much like, let's get into the interview. Let's, let's get straight into it. And uh, you got to find joy, right? Joy is missing in a lot of things. So thank you. I, I appreciate that, Simon. I want to, I want to ask another uh, question in the realm of not spirituality or religiosity. I've noticed something that's changed in society. And I'm curious if this all ties together. I believe that you're going to say it does, but I want to know what the, the larger thing is that's causing it. For whatever reason, when I have a conversation about morality, people are telling me now that morality doesn't matter. Because morality is about the individual and individualism seems to be like whatever feels good for me. And it's my moral code. And so ethics have even kind of gone out the window as well. People are like, well, it's not illegal. It's just unethical. And I, I that doesn't sit well with me. This, this erosion of morality and ethics in society, there seems to be no one that wants to uphold what is right except for collectivism. Collectivism, for some reason, all of a sudden believes that it holds all moral values and it holds all ethical values. But the truth of the matter is collectivism holds none of those because it denies the individual rights, the individual sovereignty from the uh, livelihood of that person, the prosperity, the property. And so I'm trying to understand this fifth generation warfare also part of an erosion and taking people away from thinking about morality as something that's personal and ethics is personal and saying, Oh, we're going to give it to the collective because the collective can decide what's best. And you know, it, it takes away the free thought. Yeah. Well, I mean, the most obvious thing to tie that to is what Yuri Vesmanov described, right? So he talked about ideological subversion and he specifically stated that, you know, one of the stages of ideological subversion is demoralization of a nation. And one of the reasons you demoralize a nation is so that by the time you go to alter their foreign policy and their politics and all the different ways that the nation functions, uh, the demoralized citizens will not be capable of standing up for themselves. They will not be capable of defending their culture and their nation because they will be in this demoralized state. And, you know, a lot of this, I think, it connects to us not having the awareness that we needed to defend ourselves from that. I think maybe there's some growing pains here. Um, but I think there are there's there's things that we need to learn about what we did and did not get right. So, you know, collectivism um, is obviously a very, very dangerous philosophy um, in the ways that it's being used right now, um, in the ways that it was used during COVID. It was very obvious forms of collectivism there that were very harmful to our society. When you're looking at demoralization, um, you also want to look at, okay, what, what is the response to that that we want to enact? Um, do we need to become 
uh, an entire nation of, um, uh, I guess, religiously fanatical people? Um, is that really the correct response? You know, did we go through periods of history or experiences of that where religious fanaticism didn't end up upholding the moral and ethical standards that we wanted? You know, you look at the corruption in different religious institutions throughout time and the struggles with secret pedophilia and almost every major religion. So there was struggles, I think, on that side of things too. So I see us as being at a point where we are threading a very particular needle where, yes, we want to move away from forms of collectivism and tribalism, but if you look at the family unit as this foundation for society, you know, this is the first place where I think we're really dealing with this dilemma, where we are really confronting it. You know, when you have the child being born into the family and that unique individual child, um, what do you do with that child's unique nature? Of course, the child has some elements of themselves that are open to conditioning. But anyone who's a parent sees that, you know, your child had those parts of their nature that were already there. I saw this that the just from the moment my son started breastfeeding up until now, he's eight years old. I could see parts of him that were there right away the moment he was born. So we see that there are parts of the individual that are open to conditioning and parts of the individual that are already there as part of their nature. So how does the family unit as that first sort of line of defense here deal with this conundrum of the individual who is also open to being conditioned? And I think this is where we need to thread that needle. You know, when you look at the way that religion in the past was often used um, in such a way as to, to see the child as nothing but an empty vessel into which the dogma needed to be inserted so that they would then carry that dogma into the next generation. And in doing that, in seeing the child as an empty vessel into which dogma needed to be forced, the individuality of that child was suppressed or harmed. And that those are the kinds of tribalism that I don't think served us. So we want to find ways of honoring that. And I believe that the way to thread this needle to honor that is to have parenting styles and to have family units that really deeply see the child for who they are to really, really deeply understand the individuality of each child and to be of service to their unique nature. Now, in our family, we do that as an unschooling family. So we actually follow a child-led learning model, a, a life-learning model, where we look at our unique children and we allow them to show us their interests and their needs, and we surround them with the structure and the guidance and the information that allows them to follow their passions and to grow and to find meaning in the unique struggle that they have come here to have. I think this can be scaled up. I think honoring the individual is something that we could be doing more in all of our relationships in trying to see each other more deeply each person's individual nature more deeply. I think this is the way to build a more solid collective in which each person's individual nature is brought to its maximum expression. Their maximum potential is achieved. And I think, you know, I've written a lot about this. I have a, a workbook called Legacy Keepers, and I'm going to be offering a workshop on this that, that people can sign up for because, you know, there's a war on innocence. And this ties into what I'm saying, you know, quite a bit. 
this war on innocence is attacking the innocence of children primarily. Um, you know, in a sense, it's also attacking the adult relationship with innocence, of course, but the innocence of children is being attacked. And that's a broad statement you can make. But when we look at how that functions with the unique child, you want to understand what the nature of the unique child's innocence is. And that comes back to what I was saying earlier, that each child is open to forms of conditioning and influence in unique areas of their being. And that's where I believe the innocence of each unique child lives. So if you know your child very deeply, and you're not just looking for innocence in general terms, but you see where their innocence is, where my specific child is open to influence, then they can be protected in those places. My two sons are very different. You know, I have one son who, um, if he was in the public schooling system, would be much more deeply influenced by gender ideology than my other son, who would probably kick in the door and be totally unaffected by it because they're just unique in the ways that they're open to influence. This is where I think we want to thread the needle and find this balance so that we are building a healthy collective, um, but we are um, doing it in ways where we can have morality, we can build up a moral society, um, and it comes from being of service to the unique nature of the individual without them being squashed by forms of tribalism and collectivism that we've become caught up in in the past. That's a great point, Simon. We're, we're going to take a break here uh, and we're going to continue the conversation on Friday and talk about public schools and what the perception from Canada where Simon lives compared to what our perception of public school is here in the United States, just trying to get to the bottom of it. And what are the school systems like in Canada as well? Where is that war in the five G W the fifth generation warfare? So you can come back on Friday, make sure you're sharing these shows. I just want to say thank you to the listeners as we approach Thanksgiving, or maybe you're listening to this on Thanksgiving or the day after Thanksgiving, whenever it is that I'm reaching you, I am thankful for you. I started this podcast about a little over a year ago in July of 2022 with the idea of trying to inform the world through my look at independent news with my independent view. And it's because of the listeners like yourself and those that you forwarded to and all the courageous guests like Simon Esler that's here or my co-host Chris Michaels that this mission has come true. Now, we know with a fifth-generation warfare, you can't trust the mainstream media, the cable news, the big tech. They all have conflicted interest. Most of these corporate interests, they control the narrative when they're reporting the news stories. And now maybe you're starting to understand they're trying to control your digital domain. They're trying to dysregulate your emotions. And so that's why it's more critical than ever that voices like my own and others who are dedicated to giving stories with independent views a platform have reached like this show here on the America Out Loud Network. So I need your help. As an independent podcaster, I'm not receiving any financial compensation for the show. It's all a labor of love. It requires countless hours inside my studio, administration work to book the guests, record the shows, mix the shows, and provide the best possible experience for you, my listener. So if you enjoyed this show and this series or any of the series before, and you want to continue to hear more great content from American Bolden and myself, I want you to please consider donating to keep this independent news mission alive. And you can do this directly at my website, americaemboldened.com or over at buymeacupofcoffee.com backslash bold America. That's all. We hope that we honored your time. Well, everybody. Thank you for being here. You've been listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden. 
my co-host Chris Michaels, and our guest Simon Essler. As always, be bold, America. Mm-hmm.